Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. As we we now come to the time in our service in which we hear and we receive and we take to heart the words of Scripture, believing they have power and they have truth for us. Today, our Scripture is found in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. This will be James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. I will be reading from the message translation this morning. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. You're cheating on God if All you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get. You end up enemies of God and his way. And and do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God do his, do it, do, let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him make himself scare. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray that this word and your spirit and your power would be made known in our hearts and our minds, in our relationships, and in our lives today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When uh, one, of, one of my practices is to talk with our staff of, about the, the text for the upcoming week, and after we read it from the message translation, the general consensus around the room was, boy, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Uh, when, I, uh, when Heather was reading over my slides yesterday, she said the same thing. Whew, this is a harsh teaching and a harsh scripture. And, and I think that any time that we talk about the idea of power, it should actually, it really needs, we need to be jolted in, ev- in order to understand it. Um, we're in the midst of this three-week series called Money, Power, and Sex. And, and we've looked already at, at money and sex, and today we are looking at power. Um, after, when I was telling the congregation that um, last week that we were going to be talking about power, the, Ron Mitchell, many of you know Ron, he was a, a former homicide cop. He said, Aaron, power is the most important of those three because every homicide that I ever investigated ended up some sort of power struggle at it. 
And I like the way that Richard Foster in his book that's been our guide for this series, Money, Sex, Empower, The Challenge of the Disciplined Life, this is what he says. He said, if money hits us in the pocketbook and sex hits us in the bedroom, power hits us in our relationships. And we all have power and we all are involved in power dynamics because we all are in relationship is that there's certain power that's in every single room who has the authority who has the lead who has the opportunity to assert that their will will be done and one of the things I sometimes enjoy doing is just looking at the power dynamics that, that come and play in any group that I'm in, whether it be a group here at the church or in the community or wherever it is, it's always fascinating for me to see the dynamics at play. What are the power dynamics in our family? Now, as we think about power, let me give us a, a couple of working definitions that we, so we can all be on the same page. Uh, one definition, and this is a um, dictionary definition, is that power is the possession of control. Now, I know nobody in here likes control, um, and so that I'm sure that that definition won't hit any of us, um, but power is the possession of control. Another way I like to think about power is that power is the ability to get your will done. Sometimes that is through your own power, but sometimes it is through other people. And we all have power, and that's one of the things I want us to know about, is, is that none of us are powerless. Sometimes we look at the powerful and we think, oh, they have power, I don't have any power. Um, but the truth is, is that we all have varying levels of power in varying rooms and varying roles that we have. And so uh, we've asked the same question each week, and it's simply this, is are you willing to surrender your power to Jesus and to trust him with your desires? As we've talked about money, um, sex, and as we talk about power, it's, it's really tempting to think about how somebody else needs to hear this. But the question I want each of us to wrestle with is, God, what are you saying to me today? And am I willing to surrender the power that I do have to Jesus and to trust him with your desires? Now, there's a lot of different kinds of, of powers uh, and different kinds of way that power, that power sort of plays itself out. I'm going to run through kind of a variety of different powers. This isn't meant to be a list that's all-inclusive of every way, but it's just some of the ways in which we can experience power. There are, of course, positional power, right? That, that there are positions that give power. So we think about presidents and we think about governors and we think about CEOs and we think about entrepreneurs. We think about pastors and principals and teachers, that there are these positions that have power. Another one of those positions that have a lot of power is mother or and father, right? I mean, you've heard the saying, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? These positions of power and what do we do with it in our world. Now, another kind of power is expertise power. Um, there may be some things in which I don't have any power in, but all of a sudden, if we're talking 90s country or San Francisco 49ers history, I am an expert in these fields and that the knowledge I have is power, and so sometimes we see in our various groups how, how different people rise up to be experts and they have power as we think, oh, we should listen to them because of their expertise. Knowledge is power. And sometimes the knowledge of people is power. This is one of the reasons why gossip spreads and what happens is, is that the knowledge that some people have, they can hold and they can manipulate over people because they're an expert in the knowledge that is present. 
There's also resource power. Sometimes uh, uh, people who have money, uh, they might have the power. I like to think of this as is the truck power. Because uh, I remember talking to somebody who said um, they wanted a bumper sticker on their truck that says, yes, this is my truck, and no, you cannot borrow it. But there's a resource that you have. And, and so because you have this resource, whether it be a, a truck or money or whatever it might be, that sometimes people want that resource. And because you have it, you have authority over something. There is political power. Now, I'm not just thinking of, of politics in the grand scheme, though certainly as we look at what's happening in Ukraine, we see how somebody is using their political power to try to invade another country. And we see it in our government that we have here. But as I really think about political power is it's really a power of transaction that happens. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. You did something for me, so now you owe me. There's this constant give and take that happens, sometimes stated, but often unstated. Who holds the power? Of course, one of the biggest kinds of power is relational power. It's not what you know, it's who you know, or is it whom you know? I don't know, um, but one, one of you is like an English teacher, and you're like, Aaron, I know exactly which one it is, but it, it, it's the relationships that, that matter, and so you're able to help somebody to get a job because you know them, all right, or, or you're able to be known in a community while others are, are stuck on the outside. There are relationships and legacies that, that carry on, and that is, uh, it's not it's, it's interesting how these relational powers can have hold on us for, for such a long period of time. Um, that there is oftentimes something that happened when we were 6 or 16 or 36 that, that still the relationship or something that was said that was significant or done still has a hold on us all these years later. And even sometimes there's relationships that end that still have power in our lives. We think, oh, my dad wouldn't be proud of that decision that I just made, right? Or we, we think about um, when something happens, we think, oh, gosh, um, she or he um, would be upset if I did that. And that idea of what they taught us can still have powers years and years down the road. Another kind of power is emotional power. Um, and that emotions can infiltrate our rooms, and we can often um, dictate our world by the most anxious person in the room. Um, I, I really see this uh, really well with children, um, because children know how to play their anxiety to get what they want. Um, I, I laugh, uh, I'll talk with Barbie every once in a while about the, the preschools and, and you know, we have our three and four year olds and every once in a while there are some families who their households are ran by a three or four year old's anxiety. And do you know what happens to the three and four year olds? They become seven and eight year olds. They become 15 year olds and then they become you and I. And, and we've learned that we can control things by our anxiety at a young age and so we just keep using our anxiety to get our will done. Anxiety is powerful. It's not healthy, all right, but it is a powerful force. Another one of the emotions that has a lot of power is the power of anger. And that there are times, and there are some of us who know that um, we can just get loud, and when we get loud, we have the power um, I, uh, as you all know, I have two sons, and um, part of my experience of being a dad is that there are sometimes uh, 
more times than I'd like there to be, where I have found myself resorting to anger and losing it in order to get my will done. I'll say nice things, you know, like stop touching your brother, all right, be quiet, all right, now's not the time, all that sort of stuff, but then something will spark in me, and I will get frustrated, and I'll exhibit anger so that my will is done, and I can control the situation. Anger is a power, and I've told my boys, nobody wins when daddy gets angry. Nobody wins in those situations, because, but I know that I can be bigger and louder than they are, at least so far. Anger can control a situation. Tears can control a situation. There are times in which we see somebody crying and we think, oh gosh, I don't know what to do with it. And it avoids. And so we can use these emotions in order to manipulate and get our will done. Now, of course, there is spiritual power. Um, In a few weeks, we're going to be having Pentecost, the Sunday where we remember the Holy Spirit descending on the disciples, and that at that time, we remember the power of the Holy Spirit, and that God has power beyond what we can ask, think, or even imagine, and that there is spiritual power that is for good and amazing things. But also, we believe that um, not all spirits are good spirits. I don't claim today to understand or be able to describe all this, but what I know to be true is that not all spirits are good spirits. We're called to discern the spirits, but these dark spirits also have power and they can lead us astray. So I don't know where you found yourself. If any of these powers, you may be thinking of some other powers that we have, but we all have a manner of power and influence in our world. Now, one of the things that I was actually thinking between services is that where we have power often is where we have value. If we consider ourselves an expert in something, we find our value or self-worth in that. If we find ourselves with positional power, we can find our self-worth in that. And so one of the ways to maybe detect where is it that our power resides is maybe in it as to how we view our identity in there. And, and, And that is one of the natures of it. Power can be a gift because when somebody who uses their power for good, it can make a difference of generations and generations. But the natural bent of power leads towards corruption and idolatry. You've heard it said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That, that what happens is, is that power itself is a power, if you will, and it bends itself towards corruption and idolatry to anybody or any entity that holds it. The problem with power is that it resides with people and people do not know how to handle with care something that is so powerful and destructive. And so that's really what James is talking about in our scripture here. He says, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? And he's not just thinking about out there in the world. He's thinking about in here and in our circles of influence of where we are. Where do you think they come from? Do you think it just happens? Think again. They come about because you want and I want my own way. And we fight for it deep inside ourselves. It comes from the inside of what I want, and that is why we have wars, and that is why am I at war with other people, and I butt heads, because my will versus their will is continually colliding. And so we lust for what we cannot have. The scripture says you are willing to kill to get it. Now, sometimes that is literally 
um, as Ron said, with homicide, but sometimes we are willing to destroy something so that we can get what we want. That power has the capacity to create incredibly beautiful things, but it certainly has the power to destroy things as well. And we see this at the very beginning of our story. If we go all the way back to the Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve. Now it's amazing the power that God gave Adam and Eve because he gave them the power of choice. And he said, welcome to the garden. There is plenty of good food to eat. But there is one thing you must not do, which is to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And one of the ways that I've understood that is that the knowledge that God's good things can be used for evil purposes. And so, just like y'all, when you're told not to do something, what did Adam and Eve do? They just, I, I just sort of imagine they were in the garden for a while, spent a few days. I don't know exactly how it went, but what I imagine is they spent a few days looking at that tree, walking around that tree, thinking it doesn't look so bad. What could God be doing? And then they heard the whisper of temptation, and, and, and power often whispers, what God told you is not true, what God tells you is not good. And, and so then they ate the apple, and sin came into the world, and it infected, it affected everything. I love the way that Richard Foster says about it in his book. He says, Adam and Eve, they wanted to be more, to have more, to know more than is right, not content to be creatures. They wanted to be gods. And if I was to say, what is the human problem? It's that we are not content to be creatures. We want to be gods who gets our will and our way done in the world. And we are hesitant to go to God with our needs because we know they aren't good. I mean, that's what James says. You wouldn't think of just asking God for something, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each one in your own way. And so we, we refuse to ask God, we refuse to ask God for help, and we want to live as kings and queens in our own world. Years ago, I, I, I went to a, a service and I heard the pastor talk about kingdom. Now, we don't talk a lot about the kingdom of God. It was the primary topic that Jesus taught more about the kingdom of God than any other topic, but we don't live in a kingly world, and so it's a little bit confusing for us. But what he said is that your kingdom is the range of your effective will. And so whenever we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the places where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That this is his kingdom is where his will can be done. But the pastor said that you and I, we all have a kingdom. We all have the range of our effective will is that there are times where we can do what we want and get done what we want. And so right now, you all have the authority and the power to get up and leave this sanctuary at any point in time. You have that will that if you wanted to, you could do. Now, we all have limits of what your will is to be done. You, you can't go to Chick-fil-A and get a burger, right? That's a limit of our effective will, but we all have a kingdom. And sometimes we have the kingdom to be able to get things done through other people, all right, now as a dad, sometimes this is a little bit of a struggle, all right, because I'll say, hey, boys, clean up your room, and they'll say it again, all right, and, and sometimes they clean it up, but other times, you know what really works well? Hey, boys, clean up your room or you'll lose electronics, 
And then my will is done in their bedroom as it is in my mind and heart. <laughs> and we do the same thing. And for those of you who are, who are leaders, who are bosses, um, but all of us, we have this power of our kingdom to be done through other people. And that is a great power. And as you all have heard me say multiple times, with great power comes great responsibility. So what do we do about power and how do we engage with it in our life? If we all have a kingdom, how do we deal with the range of our effective will? So when power presents itself, what do we do? Now, it's interesting, as, as a, just a, an observer of human behavior, I'm fascinated with what happens sometimes. And so one of the things that happens with power is that sometimes people try to assert power over us. Is, is that people try to rule us in some form or fashion, and when an other attempts to assert power over us, we often respond with the psychological idea called reactance. Now, I learned about reactants a, a couple of years ago, um, and it's a psychological theory that's pretty interesting to me. And I saw it play itself out um, when I was a, a pastor in Muldrow, Oklahoma, um, and I preached a sermon on the difficulty of change one Sunday. And, and just like y'all, everybody sort of had their like, assigned seats, all right? It's, it's secretly assigned. You know, the Lord gave it to you many, many years ago. And uh, nobody else said, but I said, you know, change is hard, even when it's something simple. And I said, so what I want you to do is I want you to get up from your seat, and I want you to go to another section and finish the sermon until, we, until I finish the sermon. And I could have, guys, I tell you what, I had never, like, they were just like, uh-uh. And then they were like, oh, the pastor asked me, I'm going to look bad. And I was like, and then they're like, is he serious? And I know some of you are thinking, like, Lord, I hope he isn't going to tell me to move, all right? And I'm not going to tell you to move. Y'all can relax. But you feel that emotion inside of you? That's reactance, all right? But it was really hard. Um, and so eventually most people kind of moved. But I think it was because I said, you know, we ain't going home until y'all move. And then they thought, well, I want to go home at some point in time, so we might as well move. But there were still some of them who were like, uh-uh, it may not say my name on the back of the seat, but my booty has imprinted in this chair over the years, and I ain't going anywhere. And it was amazing to me. Something so simple, people would say, no, I will not do. The psychological principle of reactance, they did an early study on it when they had this theory. And what they would do is they... Uh, they had a game that required cooperation. And there was a, a person who was secretly part of the study who um, passed one of two notes to the subject that they were experimenting on about how to complete this task. On one note had a possible course of action that listed alternatives and then stated a preference. I think this would be the best way to go. The other note directly requested a particular course of action saying a partner should do something. Nearly 70% of the people who it was suggested they go a certain route, went a certain route. Less than 40% went along when they were told what they should do. This is reactance. And one of the things that I see that's particularly true for us here in the United States of America as we rise up individual freedom is that we really do not like being told what to do. And whether you are, are for mandates or whatever the case may be, the idea of mandates was fascinating to me because I just saw the reactants in all of us responding to, I, will not, I do not like being told what 
to do. In fact, one of the ways that we see this played out is often when people are having deadly habits, um, that uh, smoking um, is, is one of those things that most, that, that people even, and it also tells you about the power of addiction, but, but people who are smokers, even when told they are going to die and they are killing themselves, most of them cannot and will not stop their behavior. Um, and so we have to find ways to walk with that. And so I'm just going to invite all of us to check our spirit of reactance of whenever we are being told what to do, it, when, when there is power that comes to us, because that's part of it. And one of the things is that sometimes those are not good, but if it comes from God, we will even respond with reactance to God. And we'll say, God, I know this is good for me, but I am not willing to submit and surrender to you. Now, when we hold power, when you and I hold power and have power, we are tempted towards pride. And that power and pride often can go hand in hand. I remember getting a phone call from somebody a couple months ago, and on Monday, um, we uh, have a lot of meetings at the church. And this person knew that, and he said, Aaron, how are, how are all the meetings today? And I said, well, I led them, so I thought they were good. But I was like, you probably better ask other people who were in them whether or not they were actually good, right? But, but as somebody who's a leader, it's easy for me to think, oh, well, it went my way. The agenda happened, so I feel good about it. I must be successful. And that when we have power, this idea of pride and feeling responsible for the good things and not responsible for the negative things go hand in hand. And so it's a really dangerous thing. For us to begin to think that because we have power, that we also are really good at what we do. And so we have to watch ourselves and place ourselves under authority and submission. This is what Richard Foster says in the book. When pride is mixed with power, the result is genuinely volatile. Pride makes us think we are right, and power gives us the ability to cram our vision of righteousness down everyone's throat. The marriage between pride and power carries us to the brink of the demonic. Pride and power, it's a dangerous thing. And so we have to be aware and we have to continually submit ourselves under authority, especially those of us who have more power, because pride is a very, very dangerous thing. Now, the other thing with power is that when power is often available, we position ourselves for it. Uh, we, we hear the thing about a power vacuum, right? So when Jim Inhofe retires from the Senate, 14 people all of a sudden rush in to try to be the, the next one. That, that power goes and people want to do be a part of it. That when power is available, we want it. Now, sometimes we don't want the d- decision making, but we're going to encourage somebody else to be in charge and we're going to try to run it from behind. This is the nature of people. We want control. We want authority. We want to get our will done. And when we see that there's an opportunity, then everybody in some form or fashion tries to step up because we are bent to having our own kingdom grow and grow and grow. And so we all want power and authority. We want to be powerful. We may not all want to be famous, but we all want our little kingdom to go well. And this is part of what happened with Jesus and his disciples as well, is that 
Jesus' disciples expected that Jesus was going to have an earthly kingdom, that they were going to overthrow Israel from a Roman rule, and that Jesus was going to be an Israelite Jewish king who was going to rule over Israel. And that Jesus' disciples saw themselves as, okay, Jesus is king, that's awesome, but I can be second or third in command. And so they were arguing about who was the greatest. And anytime we argue about who's the greatest, part of the implication is who is the least. And who's at the bottom of the power? And so Jesus challenged them as they were arguing about it. He says, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader, whoever wants to be powerful among you, must be a servant. And Jesus embodied this in the way that he lived his life. In the way that he gave himself for others, he did not come with all of his powers and rule. He didn't make people do things. Instead, he invited them into this incredible journey, and he invited them to surrender as his Savior and his Lord. Now, one of the things that whenever I do baptisms, I talk about we accept Jesus as our Savior who saves us from our sin, but also our Lord who leads us, and our Lord can tell us what to do. And again, that's where that emotional principle of reactance comes in, because we like Jesus as our Savior, but we have a harder time with Jesus as our Lord. But we can trust in Jesus because he did not use his power to manipulate or to get his own way. Instead, the way he used his power was incredible. And we're called to be like Jesus in the ways we use our power. And one of the things we are called to do is to use our powers for others instead of for ourselves. It's so easy to, to use our powers to get what we want, to, to, to have things done that is good for us, but really the use of powers as Jesus modeled is to be used for others so that others can be lifted up. And I just want to say a quick word to us because we often find ourselves really trying to manipulate our own selves through justification. And one of the things I've said before is that justification is often the sin of choice for intelligent people. Is that we find a way that we justify, yeah, it's good for me, but it's also good for all of these other people. It's primarily good for them, but secretly in our hearts we know it's about our will being done. And so we have to even question our own mind and our own motives sometimes and really surrender those to God. Am I using my powers that I have for others or am I using it for myself? Now part of our power is our gift of presence. And we are called primarily to be present with others instead of exerting power over others. And I want to share a story that was in the book from Richard Foster um, because he had this powerful relational experience of how somebody used the power and influence that they had with him, but used it in a way that wasn't expecting. He said, I once experienced this power that frees in an especially vivid way. I had just returned from a conference where I'd made some rather significant decisions, and I was telling a friend who was a spiritual mentor about the experience. At one point, I exclaimed, oh, by the way, I made one decision that I know, that I know you have been wanting me to make for a long time. Have you ever been in one of those situations, either on the receiving end or on the giving end, that somebody finally listened to your advice, right? Um, or you finally gave up and you listened to somebody else's advice? But I love what his friend said. My friend interrupted and he said, wait just a minute. Let's be clear about one thing. My business, my only business is to bring the truth of God as I see it. And then to simply love you regardless of what you do or don't do. 
It's not my business to straighten you out or get you to do the right thing. Now, I think that's such a great gift of the power of friendship. It's not my business as your pastor to straighten you out. It's not my business to make you do something or other. My business is to present the truth of God as best as I see it. And then to walk with you no matter what you decide. And so that's who we are called to be for one another. Yes, we speak truth, but we also walk and journey with one another and use our power to be present with others. And part of what we are called to do is to let God work his will in our life. The scripture says, yell aloud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Because most of all, we're called to surrender our power over our heart to Jesus. Our heart, our will, our direction is, it begins inside. And we have to say, Lord, you are the king of my heart. You are the ruler. I surrender my will to you, and I choose to live under your authority, and we have to do it again and again. And we can do that because we, have, we believe and trust that what God has done and what God wants for us is good for us. This is the way James says it. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. I think sometimes we have a hard time surrendering to God, not only because we want our way, but also because we have a hard time trusting that what God wants is good for us. But I want to invite you to try to follow the ways of Jesus because what he wants is good for us. The world tells you that power and prestige and popularity and money, that these are the ways. But what we've seen time and time again is that those ways and those powers, they actually end up in corruption and misery. How often the richest and the famous and the most powerful can also be the most miserable. And instead, Jesus calls us to a different way of walking with him and surrendering with him and living the life he has for us. And so the question is the same one I asked at the beginning. Are you willing to surrender your power to Jesus and to submit your desires to him? Are you willing to understand and acknowledge that you and I, we have power And sometimes we have powers in ways and in places we don't even know. But are we willing to submit that and say, Lord, here I am, and I submit my desires? It is not easy. It's hard. It's sneaky how power can get and infect us. Because power often presents itself on the outside, but it prevails on the inside. It's about what our heart is doing. What do we do with our power? James says it this way, get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. What do we do is we lay down and we submit and we surrender our authority and we say, Lord, here I am. And we lay ourselves down. We submit to that. This is what Jesus did. Is he showed us how to use our power. On the night um, where he gathered with his disciples in the upper room, He did the most powerful thing. He washed his disciples' feet. And he said, what you've seen me do, now you do. Use your power to serve others. 
And then in the garden before he was arrested, he prayed what somebody once said was the second Lord's Prayer. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And may that be our regular prayer. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. And so as we have a a time of prayer, one of the things I always invite people to to do is that you can reach out on our pastoral prayer line, uh, 405-367-3139. Maybe God is doing something in your heart. Maybe there's an area that that you've had power or maybe pride's infected your heart or whatever it might be, and you need to lay that down before God. The altar is open, and we invite you to, to get down on your knees. Maybe some of you have had power of your own life. You've been your own king and your own Lord your entire life. And maybe today's the day that you're going to surrender it all and get down on your knees and say, Lord, I give power and authority of my life over to you because I believe that your ways are better and you are good. And so if today's the day that you want to follow Jesus and accept him as your Savior and your Lord, I'll be up here and I'd love to pray with you with that as well. So let us have an attitude of prayer and then we'll sing our closing song. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.